Book Three, Chapter Nine of the Late Mr. Jonathan Wild the Great. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Late Mr. Jonathan Wild the Great by Henry Fielding. Book Three, Chapter Nine. Observations on the foregoing dialogue, together with a base design on our hero, which must be detested by every lover of greatness. Thus did this dialogue, which, though we have termed it matrimonial, had indeed very little savour of the sweets of matrimony in it, produce at last a resolution more wise than strictly pious, and which, if they could have rigidly adhered to it, might have prevented some unpleasant moments as well to our hero as to his serene consort. But their hatred was so very great, and unaccountable, that they never could bear to see the least composure in one another's countenance without attempting to ruffle it. This set them on so many contrivances to plague and vex one another, that, as their proximity afforded them such frequent opportunities of executing their malicious purposes, they seldom passed one easy or quiet day together. And this, reader, and no other, is the cause of those many inquietudes which thou must have observed, to disturb the repose of some married couples who mistake implacable hatred for indifference. For why should Corvinus, who lives in a round of intrigue, and seldom doth, and never willingly would, dally with his wife, endeavour to prevent her from the satisfaction of an intrigue in her turn? Why doth Camilla, refuse a more agreeable invitation abroad, only to expose her husband at his own table at home. In short, to mention no more instances, whence can all the quarrels and jealousies and jars proceed in people who have no love for each other, unless from that noble passion above mentioned, that desire, according to my lady Betty, modish, of curing each other of a smile. We thought proper to give our reader a short taste of the domestic state of our hero, the rather to show him that great men are subject to the same frailties and inconveniences in ordinary life with little men, and that heroes are really of the same species with other human creatures, notwithstanding all the pains they themselves or their flatterers take to assert the contrary, and that they differ chiefly in the immensity of their greatness, or, as the vulgar erroneously call it, villainy. Now, therefore, that we may not dwell too long on low scenes in a history of the sublime kind, we shall return to actions of a higher note, and more suitable to our purpose. When the boy Hymen had, with his lighted torch, 
driven the boy Cupid out of doors, that is to say, in common phrase, when the violence of Mr. Wilde's passion, or rather appetite, for the chaste Leticia began to abate, he returned to visit his friend Hartfree, who was now in the liberties of the fleet, and appeared to the commission of bankruptcy against him. Here we met with a more cold reception than he himself had apprehended. Hartfree had long entertained suspicions of Wild, but these suspicions had from time to time been confounded with circumstances, and principally smothered with that amazing confidence which was indeed the most striking virtue in our hero. Hartfree was unwilling to condemn his friend without certain evidence, and laid hold on every probable semblance to acquit him. But the proposal made at his last visit had so totally blackened his character, in this poor man's opinion, that it entirely fixed the wavering scale, and he no longer doubted but that our hero was one of the greatest villains in the world. Circumstances of great improbability often escape men who devour a story with greedy ears. The reader, therefore, cannot wonder that Hartfree, whose passions were so variously concerned, first for the fidelity, and second for the safety of his wife, and lastly, who was so distracted with doubt concerning the conduct of his friend, should, at this relation, pass unobserved the incident of his being committed to the boat by the captain of the privateer, which he had, at the time of his telling, so lamely accounted for. But now, when Hartfree came to reflect on the whole, and with a high prepossession against Wilde, the absurdity of this fact glared in his eyes, and struck him in the most sensible manner. At length, a thought of great horror suggested itself to his imagination, and this was whether the whole was not a fiction, and Wilde, who was, as he had learned from his own mouth, equal to any undertaking, how black soever, had not spirited away, robbed, and murdered his wife. Intolerable as this apprehension was, he not only turned it round and examined it carefully in his own mind, but acquainted young Friendly with it at their next interview. Friendly, who detested Wilde, from that envy, probably, with which these great characters naturally inspire low fellows, encouraged these suspicions so much that Hartfree resolved to attach our hero and carry him before a magistrate. This resolution had been some time taken, and Friendly, with a warrant and a constable, had with the utmost diligence searched several days for our hero, but whether it was that in compliance with modern custom he had retired to spend the honeymoon with his bride, the only moon, indeed, in which it is fashionable 
or customary for the married parties to have any correspondence with each other, or perhaps his habitation might, for particular reasons, be usually kept a secret, like those of some few great men, whom unfortunately the law hath left out of that reasonable as well as honourable provision which it hath made for the security of the persons of other great men. But Wilde resolved to perform works of supererogation in the way of honour, and though no hero is obliged to answer the challenge of my Lord Chief Justice, or indeed of any other magistrate, but may with unblemished reputation slide away from it, yet such was the bravery, such the greatness, the magnanimity of Wilde, that he appeared in person to do it. Indeed, envy may say one thing, which may lessen the glory of this action, namely that the said Mr. Wilde knew nothing of the said warrant or challenge, and, as thou mayst be assured, reader, that the malicious fury will admit nothing which can always sully so great a character. So she hath endeavoured to account for this second visit of our hero to his friend Hartfree from a very different motive than that of asserting his own innocence. End of Book 3, Chapter 9 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox.